It's time for Moment of Truth with David Moses. And welcome to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses, and you're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto and 95.7 in Ottawa. You could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app anywhere across the country if you download that app. And type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM. And then just uh, away you go. You can listen anywhere across the country. I'd like to welcome my first guest to the show today, Leah Gazan, and she is the newly elected NDP MP for Winnipeg Central. She's on the line with us from Winnipeg this morning, and uh, rather today. Uh, welcome to the show, Leah. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations. Oh, thanks very much. Now, listen, I, I know that uh, you you are in there with some grassroots approaches that you want to take to uh, take to Parliament Hill. And, uh, of course, you're you are very much uh, in in trying to get uh, more attention drawn to indigenous issues. Uh, yes, absolutely. I um, I see certainly uh, indigenous uh, rights as human rights. And I think in this country, uh, you know, we see, uh, you know, in, certainly in the Indigenous community, a failure uh, to provide minimum human rights standards. Uh, and certainly in the area that I'm representing, uh, there's uh, being the third poorest riding in the country, uh, where 40.5% of kids uh, live in, in poverty, even in the city of Winnipeg and Winnipeg Centre, many people wake up every day without a minimum human rights standard. So that's absolutely a focus of mine. Now, your riding in, in uh, central Winnipeg, it uh, encompasses the downtown core, Ferry Road, I understand, and uh, uh, Assiniboine and the Red Rivers? Yes. How, it, how, it does. It's, sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, how large of an area is that for people that don't you know, know the, the, the actual size of it? Well, it's a very interesting riding. It's a large, it's a large riding. There's, uh, there's 85,000 uh, voters uh, in this riding. It's a very diverse riding. It's one of the most diverse ridings in the country. Uh, racially diverse, culturally diverse, economically uh, diverse uh, ridings uh, in the country. Um, and it has uh, diverse needs. Uh, one of the things, however, Winnipeg Centre is known for is a history of a progressive movements and progressive leaderships, and I'm looking forward to be that progressive leader that has historically represented Winnipeg Centre. Now, of course, it's a minority government for the Liberals, but it looks like, uh, and I've heard that the Liberals are, are going to be, so they haven't decided to, to uh, coordinate with any of the other parties, they're going it alone, so to speak, um, there's some confusion and some, some you know, some debate about uh, what's going on there, especially with the Conservatives, you know, in terms of a leader. And, and it looks like that, that that gives the Liberals a, a little more uh, leeway to sort of uh, govern uh, as if they were a majority. Well, uh, I think uh, certainly, um, you know, the Liberals have a history, certainly with Harper, uh, in a minority situation, voting along with the Conservatives. That's absolutely true. But it's also true that having strong, progressive, new democratic uh, voices in a minority situation is always good. That's how we got CPP and Medicare uh, in Canada, having strong, new democrat voices 
um, in opposition with a liberal minority government. So I do think uh, I, I'm not disappointed it's a minority government. I think it forces people to work together in a minority government. And I'm looking forward to pushing forward, along with my colleagues, a progressive uh, agenda that supports climate justice, social justice, human rights uh, for, for all and economic justice uh, for all Canadians. Yeah, I think you're you're correct. I think that has proven in the past to be a plus for for NDPs uh, in that situation to be able to to get some things that uh, brought forward. Now, you also mentioned that you're a, a proud socialist. Oh, I am. I'm a very proud socialist. <laughs> <laughs> and you get that from your. And I said that with great pride. <laughs> No. You know, I think socialism, it, you know, it. it uh, I think there's a lot of stigma around uh, saying mm. you're a socialist, mm. but I, I see no shame in making sure that all people uh, are provided what they need, that everybody um, uh, is, is uh, given, you know, minimum human rights standards, that, you know, it's people first uh, before subsidizing uh, big corporations like we've seen with the a liberal government with their $25 billion in uh, corporate subsidies and the $3.3 billion a year they spend subsidizing a, a fossil fuel industry that is more than capable of financing themselves. Uh, I see no shame in that. So, yes, I am a very, very proud socialist. <laughs> All right. Well said. Now, now having with that being said, of course, that brings us back to why you you are so uh, partly inclined to to want to to push for clean air, clean water, food security, affordable housing for basic human rights of all. Uh, but of course, these are a lot of the issues that fall within the the uh, area of indigenous issues as well. Now, uh, just to mention this, you're you're an NDP candidate, but you are also indigenous. And uh, you're a member of the Wood Mountain Lakota Nation in Saskatchewan, Treaty yes. 4? Yes, yes, I am. Yeah. And I think, again, going back to, like, Indigenous rights or human rights. And, I mean, if you look at the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, uh, that declaration, I mean, the reason why it was drafted in the, in the first place is that there was an g- understanding globally that there was a normalization of violating the rights of Indigenous people throughout the globe. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, if you, if you look at the reasons that we needed a declaration uh, to begin with, uh, when people's human rights are impacted, Indigenous or not, we should all be concerned. And if you look at what's going on in the States, uh, certainly we see um, increasing uh, amounts of human rights violations against all kinds of groups. So people should always be concerned when they see any group of people having their human rights violations because, or human rights violated because who's going to be next? Uh, so, uh, you know, human rights is at the core of, of things that I've advocated for in the past. And I think we need to start looking at things like clean drinking water, um, uh, proper housing uh, in Indigenous communities, not as a charity or as a favour, uh, but as uh, a way for Canada to ensure that everybody in this country is afforded with human rights. Well, I hear what you're saying, and and and, and you know when you say uh, who's next, uh, and, and the fact that this should not be uh, uh, given as a as, as you know a, a way of of looking 
down to say that that indigenous people, yeah, maybe we should get to this. It is, it, it should be a human right. And when you say who's next, when you say that, I often wonder if people understand that, that they could be next, you know. Uh, it really uh, all depends in some ways, uh, you know, I mean, why is this not happening so far? Why are indigenous people on reserves? We could go back right to the very beginning of all this. And it has to do with, with and, yep, go ahead. For sure, and I, and I think people need to be concerned. We have a growing uh, uh, white nationalist movement uh, in this country. Uh, we ha- we see it uh, across uh, certainly Canada. We heard some of that uh, hateful rhetoric, uh, you know, being spewed in the election by people like Maxine Bernier, who had a, a real kind of anti-immigration um, agenda that he was pushing. Uh, and so, yes, I think we need to be concerned. And I think at a time where we see growing inequality when we see what I've been calling a growing corporate um, dictatorship, where corporations are having have more privileges than people, uh, we must all be concerned about that. Uh, it's time for the top 1% to pay what they owe. Um, it's time to divest uh, from corporate welfare. And it's time to invest money in people and making sure people have what they need. Uh, in, in Winnipeg Centre, People are saying that we have a meth crisis. I've been saying I disagree. I think it's a poverty, human rights crisis with not enough mental health and trauma supports. And when you don't look after people, you have a crisis. In in Vancouver, they are looking at opioid, an opioid crisis. But if you look at the roots, I, I would think, I assume that it's the same. I think they're out experiencing the same issue. So, uh, yeah, we need to look at human rights. Uh, we need to make sure that everybody is afforded with human rights, seniors, young people, people what, no matter where somebody is, uh, lives, uh, where they are born, that they are afforded at least minimum human rights in this country. Now, when you mention, uh, you just mentioned corporations, and, um, you know, it, it makes me, it makes me, it brings me back to, to these issues that you were talking about, about uh, clean air, clean water, and the whole environmental uh, uh, issue about, you know, the climate crisis we're facing and why there is this, uh, this there's a pushback uh, to, to the environment uh, in wanting to clean it up or do anything or deny it or, or whatever it might be. And um, when you say you, you want to move forward and, and bring that voice forward, is it the, is it the government or, or should we... Uh, should we be looking more towards trying to get, uh, you know, uh, corporations on side? Because they're the ones with the economic uh, impact that a lot of them will be feeling if, for instance, there's an effect to the bottom line on a lot of the uh, climate uh, uh, polluters and those kind of things. Well, I mean, I think uh, certainly, like, corporations need to, to pay their fair share. And I know... Uh, certainly our party talked about uh, people who pollute more uh, should should pay more uh, in terms of things like cleanup costs, uh, divesting uh, from, um, you know, fossil fuel subsidies, uh, you know, ta- taxing uh, the richest uh, people in the country so that they pay their fair share, uh, divesting from corporate subsidies. Uh, and using that money to invest in people. So, you know, I think, you know, uh, governments make decisions. Uh, we've seen consecutive liberal and conservative 
uh, governments that have made uh, decisions uh, in the best interest very often of corporations and not people. That needs to change. Why do you think that uh, even if you're, if I can ask you this question, it's a general question, um, why do you think that, that there is uh, a pushback to wanting to improve the, the, the climate and the planet when even if everyone is wrong uh, and that it isn't man-made, it's just happening, that we, we all know that, that we create pollution through our cars, through all kinds of things, to, to improve the world, to err on the side of caution is not something that's being embraced. Well, I think, again, going back to uh, choices, uh, government choices. Uh, you know, if you look at the, uh, the, the Prime Minister in New Zealand, uh, she just passed uh, a bill uh, supporting zero uh, carbon emissions, saying we need to do better than meet climate targets. We need to take bold actions uh, to save, save uh, the earth. And again, it goes back to choices. Uh, you know, rather than investing, uh, you know, taxpayer dollars in a fossil fuel industry, they could be investing that money in building a, a green economy. Um, and, you know, I think it's about government choices. So I think certainly there um, has been demonstra- a demonstrated unwillingness uh, from the, the current government uh, to meet climate targets with their current uh, plan. Uh, but I also think there's been a lot of pushback from people on the ground, uh, even young people, people from the Our Time campaign, for example, are pushing uh, for a Green New Deal. Uh, people from coast to coast to coast are pushing for a Green New Deal and a just transition. So I think it's time that governments listen to people, listen to scientists, uh, and, and make the right choices. Certainly New Zealand is doing it, and Canada could be choosing to do the same. I'd just like to let everyone know that you're listening to Element FM, and this is Moment of Truth. My guest on the show is Leah Gazan. She is the newly elected NDP MP for Winnipeg Central. It's great to have her on the line with us today. Now, in in terms of what you were just talking about, uh, you're part of, uh, or you were supported by Our Time campaign. Yeah. And that has, uh, there's other elected officials that are also involved or getting support from that organization. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about what you know about that organization and why they're supporting? Well, I can tell you, well, it's a, it's a, a group of uh, young people um, that are pushing for a Green New Deal and a just transition, uh, you know, following uh, the United Nations uh, or the Articles of the Coming, stemming from the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Um, you know, and it's, it's really young people uh, across the world right now that, uh, you know, are, are really pushing forward a, a strong voice to support uh, protecting our waters and earth. Um, they've, they've certainly garnered a, a lot of attention. And, and I have, I've said in other interviews, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm almost 50. You know, when I was uh, around the age of many of the people that are leading this really, really bold progressive movement, the, the young people leading this movement, I didn't have the same concerns as they have. And I think that, you know, uh, people in positions of power need to do more than 
placate and say niceties to young people who are on the front lines of these issues, who are worried about things like having a future, being able to have a family, uh, being able to drink clean water, that it's time to listen with action. Uh, They are, uh, you know, fighting a movement or leading a movement that's based on science, that um, is based uh, and rooted in fundamental Indigenous human rights, and I have great respect for what they're doing, uh, and I have great respect for their movement, and I, and I would like to respond to that uh, with action, and that's respect. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, for, for far too long, young voices are often not respected. Uh, you know, now is the time to listen to young voices and act. Uh, I'm just wondering, your your time in Winnipeg, uh, you've been there quite some time, I take it, and you've been involved with Winnipeg and the area you're representing for quite some time uh, in many different ways as an educator, advisor, a media contributor. Uh, can you give us a little more background of some of the things you've been involved with there? Well, I'm the former president of the Social Planning Council, Winnipeg, I was on the Board of Governors at Red River College. I taught at the University of Winnipeg uh, for many years. I was on the taxi cab board uh, in the city when, uh, you know, we started having um, uh, some serious issues uh, coming up. Uh, I've I've been involved in Idle No More um, and and many other local movements. I'm one of the co-founders of the We Care campaign uh, that... Uh, was uh, geared to push the the federal government uh, to to have the national inquiry uh, into uh, murdered and and uh, missing Indigenous women and girls. Uh, so I have a history. I mean, there's too much too much to mention, hmm. but certainly I've been pretty busy. Um, you know, in 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 addition to my academic career, uh, fighting for social justice locally, nationally, and internationally. Mm. And uh, prior to this, I believe you also uh, you, you, just, you took uh, Bill C-262 across the country, I believe, trying to raise awareness. Yeah, and, so yeah. for sure. So for the last um, four years, I've been traveling uh, across the country um, as one of the uh, lead uh, advocates, along with many other people, certainly that were uh, on the front lines of this issue, uh, certainly uh, Steve Heinrichs uh, comes to mind, uh, people like Paul Joff, Jennifer Preston, um, you know, Ch- Chuck Wright, uh, many students from uh, uh, Central or um, the uh, Canadian Mennonite University advocating for uh, Bill C-262, which sought to have the full adoption and implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I have made a pledge uh, uh, during the campaign uh, that um, I will um, push for and support a government bill to, uh, similar to Bill C-262, uh, to push forward uh, the adoption and implementation of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. The Liberal government made a promise once again to do that, and I think we need to hold them to that promise. Um, I think we need to even uh, make changes so that it also includes things like 
operational uh, practices uh, and policy uh, to also uh, reflect uh, the articles in the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People so they can't do things like appeal the Canadian Human Rights Tribunal ruling, mm. uh, Cindy Blackstock, uh, to immediately stop racially discriminating against um, First Nations kids living on reserves. They're on their eighth non-compliance order. Uh, that needs to be reflected uh, in the bill uh, so that they can't just recklessly uh, and intentionally, as the human rights uh, ruling uh, just recently ordered, uh, racially discriminate against First Nations little kids, right? Um, so I, I, I plan on keeping that uh, going uh, as an elected member of Parliament. I'm glad you brought that up. Thanks for for mentioning that. Given the nature of all the things that we've been talking about here today, and you're you're coming into uh, to to Parliament as as a new MP, and once again, congratulations on that. Are you, you. are you hopeful? Are you hopeful? Oh, absolutely. But I think uh, you know I I keep saying I think we need to put less stock in individual politicians and really focus on people power. Uh, that's certainly how we got uh, Bill C-262 uh, passed to the House of Commons, although it was shot down by five unelected, undemocratic, and unaccountable senators. Um, it, you know, that's how we got it through the House of Commons. It certainly wasn't the goodwill of the Liberal government. It was the uh, many, many, many thousands and thousands of individuals across the country uh, who pushed uh, the government uh, into agreeing with that bill. And so I absolutely feel hopeful. I think uh, there is, uh, even though we see a growing white nationalist uh, movement in the country, I also see uh, a growing um, level of awareness, particularly with young people who are on board completely to fight for things like social justice, climate justice, economic justice, and human rights for all as a focus of their life. I had many millennials uh, working on my campaign, taking lead roles uh, on uh, during my campaign, uh, seasoned uh, political veterans and seniors. Uh, there is a hunger uh, to uh, ensure that we address the climate emergency and human rights violations that are increasing across the country. Again, given... Uh what you've just mentioned as you uh, as you get into the house and you want to move forward and bring some of these forward what would be the the first thing you you plan on on trying to get implemented or get attention to well right now i'm in the process of um beginning to to meet with organizations and uh, on the ground uh, groups I, I, I uh, ran a campaign that was based on a community-led, community-driven vision, uh, and that's what I plan to bring to the House of Commons uh, as first order. Are you concerned at all about how the, the division in the country is looking at the moment? Uh, you know, there's talk about, uh, you know, uh, the West looking more and more at separating. separating. Is this... Is this something you're concerned with, or do you think this will blow over? What, what do you think? Well, I, you know, certainly we do see a lot of uh, division in the country, and saying that, I think we also see a lot of unifying forces. 
Um, you know, I I know that during really difficult times historically around the world, uh, things like even during the Second World War, where we saw, um, you know, during during the the Holocaust, we saw people around the globe actually come come together as as a unifying force at a time where there was a, a you know great division uh, in the globe. And I think right now we're at a critical time, certainly with what we see going uh, on in the state, uh, some of the things that, you know, we, we uh, maybe, maybe necessarily didn't think we'd be seeing in our lifetime uh, right now uh, under, under Trump. Um, you know, I think sometimes when you see those things and they're dividing, they're also very unifying and, uh, Certainly with Harper, I mean, he was a unifying force to get Idle No More off the ground and really a movement that brought together Indigenous and non-Indigenous people uh, in force um, together to fight for, for, for good things. I, I certainly saw that the same phenomena happening with Bill C-262. So, I mean, although there's um, some division, there's also great unity, and that makes me feel really hopeful. Okay. Is there any uh, last things that you want to mention that we haven't touched on that you feel is important to talk about just before we end this morning? No, I, th- no, I think it's good, but I just want to thank you uh, for having me on your show. Uh, I'm really excited to get going. We're just setting up here. I'm I'm pretty anxious to get everything organized so I can get to work. And uh yeah, uh, stay in touch. <laughs> we'll be glad to do that. Likewise, please reach out to us if there's uh, something that you feel that you'd like to uh, share or get out to uh, to the to our listening audience uh, that you feel is important. So we'll be glad to uh, have you back on at a later date. Yes, thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. That is Alea Gazan. She is the newly elected NDP MP for Winnipeg Central. She's our first guest joining us on the show today on Moment of Truth right here on Element FM. Please don't go away. We will be right back with more right after this. I'm your host, David Moses, and you are listening to Moment of Truth here on Element FM in Ottawa and Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto. You could also be listening on the Radio Player Canada app if you've downloaded that app, and you can just type in 106.5 ELMNTFM or 95.7 ELMNTFM, and you could be listening anywhere across the country. In fact, our first guest of the show today could be listening in the Yukon, I understand she's calling in from, and it's uh, wonderful to have her on. She is the Alberta Regional Chief for the Assembly of First Nations, Marlene Patra. Marlene, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and we really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, to get on the line with us and, and speak with us. Um, you know, uh, I understand that also you are the first woman elected regional chief for the Alberta region. Yes, I am. Well, congratulations on that, and I believe that uh, you were elected in 2018? Yes, in February 2018. Now, if you don't mind uh, me asking, what, what is the, the job of a regional chief? How is that different from, say, the, a chief of a community? Well, it's, um, I, I do a lot of advocacy because I do have a lot of meetings with the um, AFN executive in Ottawa, so we have access to the ministers and uh, prime minister, and so I, I do a lot of lobbying for the First Nations 
in Alberta in, in terms of their priorities, issues that they have. And is it a requirement, and, and pardon me if I'm not sure about this, because I know a number of, of chiefs, I know a number of regional chiefs. Is it a prerequisite of, of a, a regional chief that they one time sat as a sitting chief for a community, or, or is that not a prerequisite? No, that's not a prerequisite. Okay, well, that helps that. Now, you represent a number of Alberta communities, correct? Yes, 40, 48 First Nations. That must keep you pretty busy. <laughs> it, it does. Uh, also, on, on the AFN National Office, uh, I, I sit on the board with ten other, uh, nine other regional chiefs and the national chiefs. Yeah, so um, can you can you explain to me? I, I'm just trying to get the logistics, and I'm also trying to to help people understand what the job is that that you know maybe people don't get to see that you guys do on a regular basis throughout the year. You have to schedule those meetings with the AFN. You also have to meet with your regional representative, your 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 local representatives in the Alberta area, and 48 of them, as you mentioned. And plus, you you sit on the board. That is must be a challenging. Uh, 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 schedule to try and and uh, and fulfill. It is it is very busy. There's uh, you know I get I get pulled all over the place. Uh, I also hold some uh, national portfolios with the Assembly of First Nations. So so there's a lot of traveling involved for sure. Now because it is uh, you're the the regional chief with the Assembly of First Nations then this is a position that is through the Assembly of First Nations, I'm guessing. Yes. Okay. Um, now, when you're there, you are representing Alberta. You're representing the, the issues for that region. Is that correct? How does it work in terms of your relationship uh, if you sit as a, as a, a regional representative on the, on the overall scope of things with the Assembly of First Nations, which, of course, is the, the national body that, w- that we hear about? Well, I, as the Regional Chief of Alberta, I do work with um, three treaty areas, Treaty Number 6, Treaty Number 7, and Treaty Number 8, and um, I, I advance their priorities at a national level. And uh, as, a, as an advocacy organization, we move forward Issues at the direction of the chiefs, and uh, but more importantly, we we respect each First Nation's autonomy and their authority. So any issues that that they bring forward to me, or or if they want to meet with a particular minister on, to deal with a particular issue, then then uh, I, I work with the national chief to open those doors. And and how do you uh, how do you find the relationship that works uh, from region to region? And now that you've been in the position for a little while, I guess you're getting used to sit, you know getting the schedule down, getting to see how things operate. And um, I, I'm I'm wondering how do you how how do you find that relationship in working with with the national chief? You find him available for your needs when when you need to to speak with him. Absolutely, he's uh, he, he's always available for me. He. Um, he, you know, takes my calls and he returns them in a timely manner. And um, yeah, we we have a really good working relationship. And uh, you know, I believe that um, the the more we work together, the stronger we're going to be as um, as a nation, as uh, 
you know, in addressing our, our issues moving forward. Great. It's wonderful to hear. And if I didn't say this, congratulations on this position that you are now holding. And, um, I, I'm, you know, you know, we just had, a, of course, an election in Canada. We have a minority government that was reelected. But, of course, since then, a number of things have, have come up that seem to be uh, creating issues between the West and the rest of Canada, as I'm sure you're aware of. And I recently saw something about, uh, you know, Alberta saying if the West does decide to to try and 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 sever ties with Canada, there'll there'll be some treaty negotiations. H- how is this being looked at from uh, from your representatives? Well, for sure, if there's any serious moves from the Western provinces to separate, First Nations would have to consent because of the treaty that we have with the Crown. Uh, you know, the, the provinces weren't part of that that treaty. It was with the British Crown. So, you know, we, we a province has, I, I mean, I believe a province has no real authority to decide to leave Canada without First Nations consent. And uh, though through, through the Constitution, Canada has a fiduciary obligation to protect the First Nations' rights title, jurisdiction, and authority affirmed in treaties. So any serious move towards separation would have to involve First Nations from the onset because our rights would be impacted. You just brought up that fiduciary responsibility, of course, that we, we are aware of and, and we've heard about. Uh, thus far, though, Canada has been somewhat reluctant in that responsibility. So how, do you think that they would be any more responsive in terms of that uh, moving forward if something like this were to happen? No, it, regardless of, um, um, you know, how, how Canada responds to, to First Nations in terms of their fiduciary obligation, the, this, the, treaty, the treaties were, were negotiated under international law between sovereign bodies so in this case, between the British Crown and First Nations. So, so Canada, through Section 35 of the, of the Canadian Constitution, they have an obligation to deal, to deal with, the, with the First Nations on anything that impacts those treaties. So, so from, from that perspective, like our treaties were negotiated under law. And, uh, um, you know, in, in uh, moving forward, they will have to have those discussions with the First Nations to ensure that, you know, they're not breaking any laws or, or you know, that, that we agree to any separation uh, moving forward. How concerned are the communities? Uh, are they taking this very serious? No, not at the moment, because the, the Premier has said that, uh, you know, he's uh, not going to allow the Liberal government to, to um, you know, uh, for, for him to, for Alberta to, you know, not be part of the Canadian fabric. And so so I, I don't think he's serious uh, or he's taking it seriously at the moment. More posturing, trying to get some, uh, uh, some attention and, and trying to get some, uh, uh, something to, to, to leverage with. Well, I, I think they have some real concerns in terms of the um, the outcome of the election. You know, the, the cons- Alberta 
I mean, the Western Prairie provinces primarily went um, conservative, and and whereas the the Liberals were primarily voted in on, from the east, so 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 they have some legitimate concerns, and I think that um, the Prime Minister needs to sit down with with the Prairie provinces and have the discussions and and trying to iron out uh, what their issues are and you know come come to some some middle ground so everybody can be satisfied that that at least there's some progress in terms of addressing the issues of the West. And I'm I'm guessing, of course, that the that yourself and uh, other First Nation representatives will want to be sitting at that uh, table as well. Absolutely. Now, of course, one of the things, you know, we, we hear a lot about oil. We hear a lot about the, the West and Alberta uh, concerned about oil. What is the, and, and even some split between the First Nations uh, in how, you know, even with the Trans Mountain Pipeline and those kind of things, what, what is your sense and, and what is your, uh, what are you getting from your representatives about this situation? Well, the, you know, for, for since, since contact, uh, First Nations have, have not had the opportunity to to participate in the economy because of the the uh, oppressed legislation through the Indian Act, which limited First Nations to to do anything. You know, like, I mean, it wasn't until the 1960s that we were allowed to vote. You know, and and there there's a lot of issues in terms of uh, the limitations that we experience, but. Uh, uh, you know, and now that that the opportunities are there, of course, the First Nations chiefs want to act on it because uh, you know we have so many social issues in in our communities and uh, and poverty, and and they want to address those. But um, you know, First Nations have different positions, but we all agree that our rights must be respected. We all agree that governments need to use the approach a free prior informed consent and and they will avoid these kinds of situations entirely want to let everyone know that you're listening to Moment of Truth on Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa, 106.5 in Toronto, 95.7 in Ottawa, and you could be listening anywhere across the country. My guest is Marlene Patra. She is the Alberta Re- Regional Chief for the Assembly of First Nations. Uh, we had introduced you at the top of the show, Marlene, as that and, and, you know, I guess there's, there's sort of a split title there because you're the Alberta Regional Chief, but you're, you're the Assembly of First Nations representative. It's kind of a, uh, a dual role that you almost hold there, I guess. And um, just before uh, my, my ID there, we were talking a little bit about uh, you had brought up some of the issues that face the communities, some communities, of course, uh, in terms of uh, poverty, and uh, I had also mentioned that there are, in some pockets of the country, uh, some indigenous communities that are doing very well with some of the uh, some of the some of the uh, economic endeavors they've undertaken. Oil, I'm guessing, being one of them. Out west, uh, in other communities, other uh, uh, other uh, economic developments have have been a positive influence on communities. But that doesn't, of course, take away from the fiduciary responsibility of what the government should be doing. And, of course, we hear time and again, uh, many First Nations are just don't have the basic needs, such as fresh water. And um, I, I, I'm just I'm wondering, is there many communities in your area that that have those kind of issues in terms of just the basic needs like like fresh water? 
absolutely. As a matter of fact, there's um, uh, some First Nations that that the the their water source are 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 drying up, and so they have to, you know. Um, address the issues with other municipalities in, in terms of piping in, um, you know, to, to the water sources. So there is there there is so many issues, you know, right across right right across the province uh, in terms of the social. Like I said previously, and you know, we're high in every statistic. Like in uh, you know, children in care, um, mm-hmm. those incarcerated the the uh suicides and you know the list just goes on and on and um uh so so like i was saying you know naturally the chiefs would want to deal with those issues and and now that they have opportunities uh you know through oil and gas and they they, they want to take advantage of those opportunities to you know to to address a lot of their their issues and and so but then, on the other hand, there's those that are concerned about the environment, you know, with, with uh, the advent of climate change, uh, you know, facing us right now. So so there has to be some balance. There's got to be, you know, a, a lot of discussions. And uh, um, But, you know, First Nations have d- different positions, but we all agree that our rights and title must be respected. And if governments and industries want to pursue development on our land, it must be done on our terms and, and uh, in consultation with the First Nations. You mentioned uh, rights respected and, of course, the responsibility of the government stepping up to do so. Have you seen changes uh, to the positive in that area, or do you see that happening? Well, I, you know, o- over the... Um, over the years, you know, th- there has been some progress and, you know, some momentum in terms of uh, uh, the government seriously, try, you know, sitting down with us and to try to address those issues. Like in, in the last uh, uh, term of the Liberal government, you know, they did put some resources uh, towards First Nations and, and trying to address some of those issues, but... Um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. You know, to me, it's it's a start, and and a lot of First Nations are are assuming their jurisdiction and authorities in Alberta. You know, developing their constitutions, their laws, their protocols, and uh, and and so you know, the the more they get into that work, uh, you know, it it becomes more critical that that the government needs to respond to to uh, ensure that they're successful and that they have the resources to be able to uh, to do that. Mm. Marlene, just to go back and, and re- refresh, uh, at the top of the show, you, you mentioned that you represent 48 First Nations in the Alberta region as the Alberta Regional Chief, and you represent the treaty areas, uh, Treaty 6, 7, and 8. Could you just, uh, for, for people that don't know what those areas uh, cover, could you, could you describe the areas briefly? You mean in, in the, the treaty, treaty areas? Yeah, the treaty areas, yeah. Well, you know, um, in in terms of Treaty treaty 6 and Treaty 8, those extend into the provinces of... Uh, in, uh, treaty 8 goes into northern British Columbia, and Saskatchewan, Northwest Territory. So, so you know, it, it's a... 
it's a broad range in terms of um um you know the the um jurisdiction i guess of of that treaty and uh, uh but of course uh in terms of uh, our role like we deal with it specifically within alberta and uh, so it th- those do present some challenges but then as well we do work with uh the first nations from those other jurisdictions so so the treaties were negotiated like i said with the british crown mm-hmm. and um you know in exchange to sharing the land and according to our treaty to the depth of the plow and uh um you know there was also uh, a trust that that was that was set aside for the First Nations and and uh, so you know that the myth that that um, um, you know we we get the money through the taxes is is not true like because because of the trust and and uh, uh, the agreement with the treaty it, it binds it binds the um, the government to to provide those resources to the First Nations. And so that that is where the fiduciary responsibilities stem from. Now, we've been talking about the federal government, and you mentioned the Crown and the treaty relationships in that area. But of course, the other side of this is that you, you live uh, you're representing the, these communities in the province of Alberta, and you have to deal with the province. You also have to deal with municipalities. And uh, that's a whole other side, as well as the community at large. And I guess where I'm going with that one is, you know, there's that day-to-day interaction that people have. Now, we've heard about, you know, uh, some of the things like the Colton Bushi case and racism that is quite prevalent. How how is that? Do you see that improving out West? Well, I I think what's improving is that it's, um, it's out there you know, in, in, in the public eye for, for people to see. So people understand that that racism is an issue that we've always dealt with, always, since contact. And, mm-hmm. and uh, now, you know, that that issues like the Colton Boucher case are, are out there in the public to see. I, I think there's uh, more awareness that's being generated. So, you know, I, I think that that's a good thing. But... Um, you know, as the Alberta Regional Chief, I'm committed to working with all levels of government to promote better relationships between them and the First, Nation, First Nations on issues that, that impact the First Nations. So, you know, it, it's, um, I, I think that the more we educate and the more we develop collaborative relationships, the better it will be for, for all of us. And, and uh, you know, bring, highlighting the issues and and the limitations that that um, we've had you know because of the Indian Act I, I think that uh, people need to ha- have a better understanding of what we've had to deal with as uh, citizens of this country as well mm. right nicely said uh, once again just wanted to let everyone know that our uh, guest is Marlene Patra she's the Alberta Regional Chief for the Assembly of First Nations uh, representing uh, 48 First Nations in the Alberta area. She's our guest uh, right now. It's a pleasure to have you on the show, Marlene. And uh, we really uh, appreciate all the areas that we've been covering here. 
There's a couple more things that I wouldn't mind uh, finding out about. Now, of course, we, we talked about at the top of the show that you are the first woman, actually, in about 35 years, I think, uh, that has been uh, elected to the regional chief uh, 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 chair uh, for, for the Alberta region. And uh, congratulations to you on that. The other thing that, uh, that I guess that I think you've said is that, it, you know, we need to have more women represented. Absolutely, and uh, and 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 you are seeing more women being elected uh, in, into positions. Like, uh, for example, in the Northwest Territories, for the first time, they've uh, elected nine uh, women to you know MLA positions, mm. and uh, you know out of uh, nineteen positions, I think that that's significant, and you know. I believe that um, you know there's there's a prophecy like one, prophecy from you know our people tells us that um, when when the women you know be, take on these leadership positions you know they will heal heal the community and heal the world probably you know <laughs> and uh, so so that's I, I think that uh, that's something that the world needs right now you know because there's so much. Uh, diversity and uh you know all, all over the place and and it's important that um the the woman's voice is heard in in terms of bringing bringing everybody together and and that's something that's needed right now i couldn't agree with you more i think you're quite right they probably will heal the world so the sooner we get there the better i guess <laughs> yeah um, so uh, the other thing, of course, is I'm wondering about is is you've been uh, you've been in this position uh, for about a year and a half or so. I know you've you've worked in other in other positions prior to this. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you did prior to getting the regional chief position? Well, I've always worked in the um, um, First Nations organizations in the community. And uh, my background is in health. I'm, I'm a nurse. And, uh, um, you know, things just morphed into, uh, when I first went to Athabasca Tribal Council in Fort McMurray. I was the director of health. And soon after arriving, I, I was um, uh, placed as the CEO in the interim and uh, ended up being there for seven years. So, so I, you know, have a lot of background experience working with with industry and all levels of government, and uh, uh, you know, so so I've always worked in the background, you know, with, with the um, like the the chiefs in Alberta, you know, whenever they'd have their assemblies, I would be the um, the chair for the resolutions committees, so you know, writing a lot of their resolutions and. So, so I, I have a had a great understanding of the issues, and and so to me it was just the natural progression. And and uh, when when I was asked to run for chief, regional chief by you know a few chiefs, uh, kind of took me by surprise. But then you know I took them up on the opportunity, so here I am today. <laughs> Congratulations! Um, if you don't, we're, we have to wrap up. But I would like to just quickly find out how does this impact your your home life. Uh, how is that ch- for a challenge, uh, you know, in terms of balancing everything? Well, it, it certainly is a challenge. I mean, I, the, the reason why I agreed to go into this, because I don't have any young children. I have two grown sons, so, you know, they're doing their own thing. But, uh, 
But, you know, and I'm always on the road. So when I get home, you know, I unplug the phone and unplug anything and, and just enjoy being at home. So, you know, uh, it, it's important. Uh, the work-life balance is, you know, very important to me. And uh, uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a lot of work, but it's good work. And I have some excellent staff at, at uh, you know, my, my office who... who um, do the work that that you know to help me in my position. So so I'm I you know I'm pretty pleased of the way things are going. Right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, nicely said. I'm glad you brought up the uh, support you have from your staff. Staff are such an important part to make any uh, anything operate. Uh, no no one is an island, and uh, everyone needs that support to to help them. It's a it's never a one person operation. Absolutely. If it wasn't for them, you know, I'd, I'd be floundering a lot. But they. <laughs> They, they keep things in perspective for me, so I really appreciate that. Right. Marlene, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. I thank you uh, once again for coming on the show and, and sharing uh, your thoughts and, uh, and, and giving us your perspective on some things. And I wish you all the best uh, in your role as the Alberta Regional Chief for the Assembly of First Nation. Uh, and uh, we hope to uh, maybe speak again in, in the future. Great. Well, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, hello to everybody in Ontario and uh, have a wonderful day. All right, thank you very much. That's Marlene. Pa- that's Marlene Patra. She's the uh, AFN, the Assembly of First Nations, Alberta Regional Chief, joining us on the line. And uh, that's uh, this part of the program. Please don't go away. We will be right back on Moment of Truth and Element FM right after this. All right, welcome back to Moment of Truth. I'm your host, David Moses. You're listening to Element FM in Toronto and Ottawa. I'd like to welcome our uh, last guest of the show, but uh, certainly not the least guest of the show today. His name is Steve Katakapik. He is calling in from Attawapiskat. Now, we've had Steve on the show uh, a couple of times before, but in this instance, we're talking to him specifically about uh, what took place over the last five days up in Attawapiskat. We had uh, players from uh, the community of Oakville go up there for five days. This has been happening for about three years, and uh, Steve has come down from Attawapiskat with players and youth from Attawapiskat for the exchange that they have uh, that's been going on uh, every six months or so. So in the summer of June, July, uh, players come down from Attawapiskat. Steve has come down with them. And then around November, uh, players, youth players go up from Oakville to Attawapiskat on this exchange. So, Steve, welcome to the show. Uh, good afternoon, David. So uh, how, was, how was the week, how did the week go for, for the uh the travelers and for your community. Pretty good. Like I really enjoyed their visit, and uh, it was a great bonding between our youth of Arwapskat and the youth from Oakville, plus our friends from chaperones and people that whoever got involved with the community in Oakville. It was really good turnout. Uh, Steve, it's been uh, three years since this has been going on, and. Um, I'm just wondering, how does uh, Attawapiskat uh, feel about the exchanges going on? How do the youth, uh, when they are able to participate in this, how do they feel? To be honest, uh, it's not just the youth that are involved with uh, Mm. hockey. We did attend the majority of our events, too, like uh, the main uh, hangout was at the uh, youth center. Mm. And there were... uh, not just the hockey cares kids that are at the local, when mm-hmm. I say local, for Attawapiskat, but there were quite a few from uh, the community that, that took part and wanted to be, they wanted to be uh, 
part of it, just to help out or they uh, just want to be around with those uh, youth from Oakville, and which is, that was the purpose, I guess, for the youth center. It sounds like it's it's been a plus for both communities. You you as you say, when when the, the visitors go up to Attawapiskat from Oakville, the uh, well, a lot of the people from the community, not only the youth that are participating in in the the games, but a lot of the youth and a lot of the community gets involved uh, with with the whole event over the five days. And uh, and I guess that's that's kind of exciting. But as you say, it's also uh, it's very tiring. Because that's a lot of work to put into uh, to, to, for, for five days of entertainment and things. Oh, community. That's, that's the number one thing that uh, I like to see more. Like I'm including, uh, when I say community, I'm, uh, I like to see more parents' involvement. Mm. That's a major thing that, uh, not to sound negative, but... Uh, but it takes a lot of work to put it on, yeah. and, and it's nice to have that involvement. So, yeah, I yeah. hear what you're saying. Uh, we really enjoyed our visit to down in Oakville, mm. and and that was a positive too. And uh, and that's the only thing that I always try to put up, put on the table is a difference between being down south and being mm. up north. Like mm. uh, when you're up north, like when our kids go down, like we have other places to go, <laughs> more resources, <laughs> like even restaurants or takeouts, you right. know, fast food. Compared to being up here, it's totally different. Eh? Yeah. But we do try to provide, even though the, how we traditional, like a wild meat and stuff like that. And I know some of them don't want to eat like that. Mm-hmm. And I, I respect that. I, I do, you know. And uh, But I always really enjoyed the, the food that we do provide. And, uh, and when it comes to... Um, fast food some of the stuff that they they were into that and and that's and that's that's a difference in this uh, well i guess that's uh, also part of the experience that's why they're going up there yeah. to see that and and recognize the differences and also to see the community uh not just uh, it's not just what the community can offer it's to get that yeah, experience yeah. of of seeing what it is like to live in Attawapiskat for mm-hmm. you uh and the people that live there yeah even though uh yes we do have have the access of uh, technology-wise, mm-hmm. but it's slow. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the, the other. That's the other challenge that we right. face up here. Like when you're down south, everything is fast. Even I was talking to one of the youth from uh, Oakville. You know, that's I really like it here. It says it's calm, it's mm-hmm. slow. Mm-hmm. Not like being over there. You have to go, 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 go. That's what he's saying. Like even going to school, I have to get up early in the morning, and everything's. Uh, it's a pace, like mm. uh, it's go go go, and, and I believe I I understand that. That's how I am when I whenever I get a chance to when I go, even in the summer and taking courses, and it's always everything's always on pace, mm. and go go go, and when I come home I feel relaxed, you know. So what a great comment to hear from a youth uh, on that on the the difference, and also to get that perspective of of how uh, it was a calming experience for him. That's that's cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. yeah. Steve, uh, miigwech again for calling in. We really appreciate the time, and it's great to hear your voice and nice to talk with you. Yeah, no problem. All right, take care. You too. All right, bye-bye. Uh, bye. That's Steve Katakapik. He is uh, calling in from Attawapiskat to uh, just give us that wrap-up on the Hockey Cares organization that is on an exchange program up to Attawapiskat, taking players 
from Oakville, youth hockey players that go up there. It's been three years now where they have this exchange. They take them up to Attawapiskat in November. And uh, in the summertime, around July, uh, players, youth players from Attawapiskat go down to the town of and city of Oakville, where they spend a few days not only playing hockey to help in the, the uh, uh, area of reconciliation, where they get the players not playing against each other. They mix these players up from both communities. So they're playing on the same teams against other players. Uh, and it's really been a bonding uh, experience for them. And it's a wonderful way uh, because these kids all know hockey and it gives them something, a common area for them to talk about. So it was a pleasure to talk with Steve once again and to hear about the success of Hockey Cares and uh, this round of the exchange. And that's the show for today. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Moment of Truth. Until then, onagiha. I also want to say nyawa miigwech, wanishi, and thank you to everyone who helps put Moment of Truth together. They include in Ottawa, Jill Kennedy and Caroline O'Neill. In Toronto, Andrew Johnson, Luca Capone, Kathy Zabokin, Bruce Barber, Andrew St. Germain. Nyawa miigwech, and thanks for listening.